Lovely to see you all here. My name is Michael. Uh, I'm on the staff team here at HTC. And a particularly warm welcome to you if this is your first time. Uh, I hope I don't ruin it. Uh, and what, what I want to do now is I just want to unpack, because um, we're thinking about baptisms. We're about to kind of all go outside and watch these baptisms. And what I want to think about is I want to unpack for us what baptism is representing. And the reason I want to do that is for a couple of reasons. The first is for those being baptised and those reaffirming their baptism vows to tell them what God has already done. That's the first group of people. For the second, for those of us who are Christians and we've been baptised, I hope that this is going to serve as a reminder for what our baptism symbolised. Whether we're a child or an adult. What did it mean? And then thirdly, if you're a guest or you've been coming for a couple of weeks and you're considering Christianity, I hope that what this does is it paints for you a picture of what God promises and what he offers today. And in order to do that, I'm going to try and do that through looking at the most obscure book in the Bible, Ezekiel. I'm excited. For those of you that guess and you're like, I've never even heard of Ezekiel, don't worry. Most Christians that are sitting around you haven't even read Ezekiel. Okay, so we're all coming at it from the kind of same perspective. So if you want to grab a Bible at the end of the pew um, and turn with me to page 868. 868. Eight hundred and sixty-eight, and we're going to be reading in a couple of minutes from Ezekiel chapter thirty-six. But obviously, because it's Ezekiel chapter thirty-six, we've had thirty-five chapters beforehand, Um, and I just think it helps us to kind of think through what is it. You know, where are we at in the story? So, if you want to plop your Bible in front of you, so that you don't get distracted while I talk. Because the story of Ezekiel, actually, not many people know it. It's a fascinating story. It begins in chapter 1, obviously. And Ezekiel is a 30-year-old man, and he's sitting by the river in Babylon. And he, five years previously, he has been plucked out of his homeland, plucked from his community, plucked from everything he knows, and he's been taken captive by the Babylonians. And here he is. And chapters 1 to 11, what it does when it begins with him sitting by the river, it begins these series of visions. And God is telling Ezekiel, how is it that you've ended up here with nothing when you had so much? And God highlights, he says to Ezekiel, he says, look at what I promised you. Look at what I gave. I gave myself to you. I told you, let me be your God and let me be your people and I will show the world who I am by choosing you. Follow me and follow my laws and I'll make you into a great nation. And what did they do? They rejected him and rejected his laws. And the way they rejected him was to replace the God of these promises with gods of other promises. Now, sorry to bring up Brexit. But I, I hope this helps, or, or it just sends shivers down your spine. Imagine hypothetical situation: um, the chairman, the chairman leader of the Remain camp, right? And imagine, you know, he's doing his thing, he's kind of chatting, 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 and then Remain, 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 and then suddenly he starts wearing St George's flag suits, and everyone's like, "Oh, it's interesting," you know. There's nothing wrong with it; just sends a little bit of a mixed message. 
And then further down the line, he begins by doing interviews and he starts saying, yeah, remain, remain, but I'm really excited about leaving Europe. You're like, I don't know if this guy knows what remain means. And it's a little bit like that. He's begun, this person has, has said one thing and they've begun to show their true colors. And that's what the Israelites do. They ignore God and they ignore what God is for. God tells them, be different from every other nation of the world. Keep my radical laws for the poor. Care for them. Instead, what do they do? They mock God amongst the other nations and they reject the poor. And they decide, actually, we don't want to look like God. We want to look like the other nations. And say, oh, that nation, they've got a king. We should have a king. Oh, that nation, they've got this kind of God. We should take that God and worship it. Oh, that, that nation's got power. We should make an alliance with them. And slowly but surely, they just disintegrate. And this crescendos in chapter 10 of Ezekiel. God's heart finally breaks. And he says, I can no longer let you be called my people because of the way you live, the way you treat other people. Now, some might say, well, 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 hold on a minute. That just sounds like God's a spoiled brat. He doesn't get his own way. People aren't doing what he says. He's throwing the toys out of the pram. But ultimately, he gives the Israelites exactly what they want, a life without him. Babylon, the reason they're there, Babylon was their fault. They were seeking power and they made alliance with all these other uh, countries and through lots of complexities. It all fallen through and the kind of great Babylonian empire came crashing down and took them all away into exile. That was their fault. So God promises them. He says, I have to leave you. And at the end of chapter 10, he says, I do promise that I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to make a greater promise. I'm going to promise that I will go with you into Babylon. I love you so much, I'm coming too. So chapters 1 to 11, how did we get here? You rejected me. But then in chapters 12 to 33 is the consequence of that rejection. God gives this glimpse of what it really means. And for the Israelites, they followed lots of different gods, but the big thing for them was power. They desired above all things, above God, to have power. And God highlights for them, he says, power fades. Power is transient. If this is your greatest desire, well, one day you will not be powerful because there will be a more powerful nation. And that's exactly what happens. And there are loads of other gods and there are consequences for living for these gods. This is not just some egotistical God punishing people. This is merely a legitimate consequence of rejection and God shows throughout these chapters I mean it's not nice reading but it shows that there are consequences at all levels of society from the individual right up to the national to the whole world so chapters 12 to 33 through stories and pictures we see the consequence and there's this constant imagery throughout, this imagery of being clean and unclean. And basically what that means is God's saying, Are you, do you follow me or not? Are we in a relationship or not? Are you clean or unclean? Now, I imagine for some of us sitting here going, this is the weirdest baptism sermon I have ever heard. This is just random. Why on earth are we talking about Ezekiel? 
Well, the Bible talks about all of humanity. And it says, the claim is that all of humanity have done what the Israelites have done. And this story of Ezekiel is the picture of humanity. So while this story was being told thousands of years ago about a group of people who are in physical exile, it's talking about me. It's holding a mirror up to me. I have rejected God. And therefore, I'm in spiritual exile. I'm unclean, to use that picture. And we've put our own gods, I've put my own gods before God. And we can name a whole list, we can name hundreds, you know, money and sex and power and success. They all become preeminent to God. Now, I promise you this. If Ezekiel ended at chapter 33, I promise I wouldn't be preaching on it. Okay, but it doesn't. Because chapter 34, there's this massive change. And there are these 10 incredibly beautiful chapters that paint a picture of God and how faithful he is. And in the midst of this picture of these promises that are breathtakingly unbreakable promises that are made to you and to me today. And I want to look at three of those promises. So... Have a look with me. Ezekiel chapter 36. We made it. Chapter 36, 868. And what I want you to do, just going to read a couple of verses. What I want you to do is see what it is that God does and what it is that we do. So chapter 36, beginning at verse 24. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. So you will be my people and I will be your God. So three things baptism reminds us of. Three things baptism forces to remember. And the first is this, we are washed clean. Have a look at me at verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Now, this is not talking about baptism. Do you know what I mean? You meet those people, don't you? They're walking around. Oh, I'm a Christian because I was baptized. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense throughout. The Bible doesn't make any sense from this passage, especially because baptism wasn't around here. And so this is dealing with something massive. This is dealing with the very heart of the whole story of Ezekiel and the heart of humanity. Have a look at me. This is what it's dealing with. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from what? All your impurities and from all your idols. This is talking about the total washing of everything that has separated us from God. And that is the opposite of the two serious misunderstandings about all that Christianity is. The first is Christianity is about rules. If I keep the rules and I keep them good enough, then I qualify as a Christian. The second is this, just by being me, I'm good enough. For a relationship with God. And God says both of these are not true. You need help. 
You're never going to cleanse yourself. You're never going to turn from everything else to me on your own. You won't do it, so I'm going to help you. And this becomes increasingly complex when we look at the previous 20 chapters because we see that there are consequences. And we can all agree, right? If, if, if you and I, we do something wrong, there has to be justice. And Ezekiel is saying there are clear consequences for the individual and for the world. If there's no consequences, there's, there is, there's a cosmic injustice. There has to be consequences. And now, for many of us that live in South London, what do we think? Well, okay, there's a problem. What do we want to do? There's a transaction. Somewhere along this line, there has to be a transaction that takes place. We can't take the consequences, but we want to be cleansed. We want to be right before God. So, so, so maybe I need to trade something. And if I trade something, I can be cleansed. The problem is there's nothing There's nothing that we have that is good enough to trade in. And the answer lies in the promise that God makes. He says, I will do it. And throughout this passage, this is God promising that he's going to take care of the whole deal. And in order to do that, he has to make the transaction with himself. And think about the difference between that and all other philosophies and religions. That says, God done his bit, you do your bit. Christianity says, God does his bit and God does our bit. So what does God do? Well, we see through the Bible, we see through the narrative of the Bible that God sends his son, Jesus Christ, who came and lived and needed no cleansing. And therefore, because he needed no cleansing, he could bear the consequences of the rejection of God because someone had to pay. He literally became our rejection and he took our consequences. So the storyline of humanity and of Ezekiel is this. You've got rejection, you've got consequence, and then you've got promise. And the promise is Jesus took the consequence. And as a result, we are cleansed. We are clean. It is as if the rejection never happened. And so the Christian who takes God at its word, God at his word, no longer lives in the old storyline. But the storyline begins and finishes with only a promise. That's what it means to be cleansed. It's as if we never rejected him. And now there's no consequence. We just live in a promise. That is the simplicity of what it means to be a Christian. I need Jesus. And we are washed by a transaction that is completed and we weren't even aware. And so, the first thing, when we think about baptism, it's not baptism that saves, it's Jesus. And baptism represents what Jesus has made possible. Washing away all of our sin, all of our impurity, all the strongholds of the idols in our life. We are washed clean. Rejection and consequence is undone. It's as if they didn't exist and we are left with what? A promise. But the promise goes on. Have a look with me at verse 26. I will, this is what God says again, I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Now, 
We're talking about two things here. We've got the heart and we've got the spirit. And what they're talking about here is the heart is the mind and the will. It's the thing that we desire most. And the spirit is the motive. It's the principal action that drives our deepest desires. And both of these are going to be replaced by something new. And when it comes to our heart, there's this literal spiritual heart transplant. Now, some of you might have gone to churches where they've, they've talked about, oh, you know, there's a God-shaped hole in your heart. I've been to churches like that. Some of you might have heard that. You know, there's a God-shaped hole that only God can fill. But that's not what this passage is actually talking about. It's talking about this heart that has desires, that, has, that yearns for things. It has its own mind and its own will, which all of us have. But the difference between this old heart and new heart is this. When it comes to the things of God, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to the good things Jesus offers, we feel nothing. I look at my life. My mind and my will before I was a Christian were aligned to the things I wanted. I'm going to be honest because we're all sharing. And by that I mean... I'm sharing. Before, before Jesus, this isn't, this isn't a... Before Jesus, before Jesus, my deepest desire, my deepest desire was to be loved and adored. I actually didn't mind about money so much. But my deepest desire was to be loved and adored. And actually, the way that manifested itself was by doing acting. I went to drama school. And, and, and you know... And that's how it played itself out. And when it came to the things of God, when it came to the things of Jesus, what did I feel? Nothing. And then people say, oh, there's a God-shaped hole in your heart. There's not a God-shaped hole. I need a new heart. That's what I need. And God did that. God gave me a new heart. Or to use the words of Jesus, how he described it as being born again. This is not some slight alteration. It's a new life. Old life, new life. Old heart, new heart. Stone heart, flesh heart. What does it mean to have a flesh heart? It means that it's alive. It's alive to the things of God. And I began to be stirred by the things of Jesus. Jesus became beautiful to me. I'm not talking about some kind of erotic way. The way he lived his life and the glory and his mercy and his grace that we see through his life, death and resurrection became beautiful to me. It became utterly beautiful. I was captivated by it. And some of us have noticed there's been a change in our heart along the journey, hasn't it? Where once we were closed, now we're considering where once we totally rejected now we're questioning and the thing that we're going to remember the thing that we celebrate about baptism is that the whole heart has changed there's not just a little bit it's there's a radical shift that's why we're going to put people we're going to stand people up and we're going to put you in the water we're going to take you out Old life, new life. This is serious. So for those of you that have been Christians, right? For those of us that you have been baptized, whether it's a baby or an adult, when you think about your baptism, is that what you think about? That you literally died. 
and you've been given a new heart, new life. Is that what you think about? It's easy, isn't it? We just wander around, oh, you know, I'll sprinkle with a bit of water. This is symbolizing something that totally changed each of our lives. And then there's a third promise. Have a look at me. Verse 26, here's the, here's the problem. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Washed clean, new life, spiritually baptized. Verse 26 is talking about the human spirit we all have. And it's the thing that drives us. It's the thing that propels us to work out the desires of our heart. And the problem is, and this is what I fear for many Christians, is they understand the first two, but then they get this bit totally wrong. They talk about this old spirit and then Jesus offers us the Holy Spirit and we just go, nah. And, and we, we, accept, we, we, we receive some kind of other spirit. Do you know what I mean? Like self-worth. How many of you have met a Christian and, and you, you, you speak to them and it's like, you think you're better than me? Do you know, let's be honest. <laughs> it's like, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's like, oh, I, you know, I've just become better because I found this thing out. I've just, I'm just better. And it's a spirit of self-worth. I'll tell you another one, while we're being honest. I'll tell you the... The thing that really keeps, this is the thing that keeps me up at night. You know, with, with, you know, for those of you that know, we're doing a church farm. We're doing all these stuff at church. It's exciting. The thing that really keeps me up at night is that are we, are we as a church, especially at the six, are we, have we just received some kind of spirit of religiosity? And we're just going through the motions. And because we don't have smells and bells, we think we're really cool. And we come and we gather and it's great. Get your tea, which is good to do. I'm not, you know. <laughs> you know, and you engage and we chat and then, and, then, and, then, and then we stand up to worship. And every week it's like we're traipsing through mud. And it's because we have a spirit of religiosity. I'm meant to sing these songs. My living hope. Do you know what I mean? You know, if that was the hope, hear me out, right? If that was the Holy Spirit propelling you to worship your Lord and Savior, would you feel differently? Maybe it's just me. Anyway, but that's my fear. You know, actually, we just, and we've just accepted this other spirit, and God is up there going, No! What are you doing? So God promises not the spirit of self-congratulation because you did nothing. Not self-worth, not the spirit of religiosity, but what? Have a look with me. My spirit. And I will put my spirit, the Holy Spirit. Well, then some of you might say, well, well, well okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. This, you know, I've been a Christian many years. Maybe I'm, I'm out of it. Maybe it's for some people. Maybe it's not for others. But that misses the whole point of Pentecost. That the Holy Spirit is for all people who accept the promise of Jesus. It is for all people, regardless of sex, age, stage of life, wealth, social standing, anything. God promises to dwell in you, to propel you forward, to live for him. And baptism is the death of the old 
spirit. Death of being driven by religiosity, driven by family values. This is what I meant to do. Driven by being British. Or are you driven by the Holy Spirit? Christian, do you see the beautiful significance of your baptism and what it represents? Do you realize that you've been washed clean? Do you realize you have new life? Do you realize you have the Holy Spirit living in you? Do you see it? Do you know it? Do you experience it? Can you taste it? Does it drive you forward to live for Christ? I mean, seriously, does it give you, when you think about your baptism, does it give you joy that you were bought with a price that you could never pay? That you've been taken, I mean, you've been taken from death to life, from darkness to light. Do you, I mean, seriously, I'm not just, do you, do you wonder in awe at the great cosmic transaction that we had no part in and yet we receive every benefit from? And do you know it is the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, who lives in you? And when you think about your baptism, is that what you think? Or is it, oh, yeah, I'll sprinkle with some water? This is what I love to do. We're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to sing a song. We want to spend plenty of time outside celebrating this. I'm just going to leave a moment of silence for each of us to consider. Where we're at, what we've heard. Some of us haven't just, some of us haven't thought like this before. Or some of us have lived our lives and it's like, I just, this first love, I've just totally forgotten. So rather than coming down to receive prayer, what we're going to invite is for those people that actually want to kind of make a kind of physical statement with their bodies, I'm going to invite you to come and to stand here and to worship from the front. We're going to sing one or two songs, and then we're going to carry on with the baptism. This may be for one or two people, and you might be like, well, this seems a bit weird, but for some of us, we might be like, yeah, I need to do something physical to show my heart posture that I want to remember everything my baptism symbolizes, Everything that God has done for me. So, can I invite you to stand? If that's you, you can come to the front right now and you can come and worship right here at the front. You can kneel, you can stand. This isn't going to be everyone, this is going to be a few of us. I haven't let you copped out by standing early. This is for those people that want to come. For those of you that have never been baptized, for those of you that have never been baptized, and you're like, I've never been baptized. In this song, I'm going I'm to be just over here. You come and talk to me, and we can just chat. For the rest of us, let's stand together and sing. Thanks, guys.